Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yes, indeed. We are back at it. And who is with us this morning is Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. A lot lot cozier now than it was a week ago. You weren't here last week. No, uh, (laughs) poor Teresa. Was it Teresa last week? (laughs) Yes. But it was, uh, yes, it was... uh, Brisk. It was a cold morning yeah. to get up. But, 22 yeah. now, so it's yeah, nice. Balmy. Very comfortable. <laughs> if you have any kind of a lot of garden question, you can send it in by text or call it in. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. We call it a smart garden show. We get great help from people like Julie Weisenhardt from the uh, University of Minnesota who have done, you and your colleagues, I know you don't do it yourself, but it seems like it, I'm sure, is that great website that has so yeah. much good information on yep, it. Yep, there is a lot of excellent information. I was answering some questions this week, and I was I was really uh, digging into things like the Starting Seeds webpage. So now is the time for people to start some early page, uh, early seeds like pansies or leeks or onions. And uh, and that pub- that web page was really helpful. I mean, just mm-hmm. for people to uh, to learn how to do that and to follow some guidelines for the best results. So that's on that's on under the um, how to section of our web page, which is extension.umn.edu, and it's called the yard and garden page. You can also just put it into the search. Any questions you have, you can put it into the search box and see what comes up. What else can you find on that website? Oh well, oh. we've got uh, yeah a lot of good tree information. Uh, pruning is is a it's a good time now to do some pruning on some of your trees. Uh, we in fact I did a a post on our yard and garden news. That's another great uh, resource that we put together every couple of weeks. And uh, and in there I put you know it's time to dot dot dot. <laughs> pruning trees was one of the items that I wrote about there. So. Um, so that's a an excellent it's a good time to do that and if you can get out you know we have a lot of snow in some of our backyards but uh if you can get out and maybe shovel a path out to that tree we did some pruning on a crab apple this week in my backyard a red splendor crab and it had i had neglected it for a couple of seasons oh yeah so it had some twisted branches and some friends of ours came out with their chainsaws on a pole those long oh, little, sure. little tiny yeah. so they could get in there and really Notch that up. So thanks to the bowling club for their help. That's what we call them. Is this a good time of year, generally speaking, to trim trees, oaks, and stuff? Uh, yes. Uh, oak wilt is the biggest risk uh, for our oaks, and, and the time not to prune is from April to June. So any time, especially this time of year, this is the lowest risk when the trees are dormant and the pathogens mm-hmm. are dormant, and uh, and it gives the tree enough time to recover before this, the growing season starts. We have Mary in Apple Valley on the All line, right. who's probably going to be the award winner with our first uh, <laughs> first question. Uh, Mary in Apple Valley, what is your question? Uh, I just have a question if there is a natural product that you can use on Creeping Charlie. Mm-hmm. Our Creeping Charlie question of the of week. Of the day, of the yeah. week. Yeah, well, thanks for that question. Um 
The natural product is elbow grease. Yeah. Pulling it out. <laughs> Pulling it out, digging it out. Um, unfortunately, there uh, there is not really a natural product that's effective on Creeping Charlie. Creeping Charlie's in the mint family, and it grows by stolons, which are surface roots, and it, it, the stem. Well, the stems grow out and they form a mat, and then everywhere there's a node, a growing point on that stem. Uh, those nodes send out roots down, and that's and that's how it gets to be that kind of webby mat. Uh, type of approach, and the problem with creeping Charlie is it's it's just a really strong plant. It it is evergreen through the winter. It tolerates all sorts of foot traffic. It, I mean, if if it wasn't so aggressive, <laughs> we would pro- it would probably be a pretty good ground cover to have. But um, but it does take over, and it takes over in particular where turf is really weak. So if you are trying to grow turf in a shaded area or compacted soil or um, otherwise very difficult sites for turf, that's where Creeping Charlie is most likely to really uh, really light it up because it's, it, it, can, it can out-compete turf that's really weak. So a lush, mm-hmm. healthy, thick lawn is, uh, is one way to combat Creeping Charlie, and, um, and that means... Uh, Taking care of that lawn and using the proper seed, good quality seed in the first place, uh, keeping other uh, weeds out of that area, and keeping that lawn really dense. That's one of the best ways to combat Creeping Charlie. If you have bare spots, that's another, you know, just open the door for Creeping Charlie at yeah. that point because cause then it's going to be coming in. Thanks, Mary. 651-989-9226. Text says, two years ago I bought a honeysuckle from a local nursery, I planted it to replace an old honeysuckle. The new one is doing well, but has not bloomed. What do you advise? Well, I'm wondering if they're talking about a honeysuckle shrub or a honeysuckle vine. Um, usually with the shrubs, uh, people aren't so concerned about them. I mean, I haven't heard a lot of people complain about honeysuckle shrubs not blooming. Honeysuckle vines, on the other hand, usually it's a sun issue, maybe a light issue. Uh, it could also be the maturity of the plant. Uh, sometimes plants have to get to a certain age before they will actually produce flowers. They have to mature enough. Uh, might not be large enough yet. Uh, sometimes pruning is an issue too. Uh, we we think we're doing a good job pruning, but we're actually pruning off the flowers. So it, it would depend on the type of honeysuckle this is, and you want to just know you know what's the appropriate time to prune it. Uh, make sure it has enough sun. Honeysuckles are full sun plants. And then also, uh, you know, just be sure that, uh, it, it, you know, if it's a rather rather young plant, it might just take a, another season or two to bloom. Okay. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. Was it a week or two ago? I was kind of surprised because I know that like a buckthorn is what what was state is deemed to what a noxious noxious weed. Yes, but there was something else that that, that has come about which surprised me. Is it a viburnum? Well, no, what is it? no, it was a euonymus. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, so the uh, Minnesota Department of Agriculture and the Noxious Weed Advisory Committee uh, sent recommendations to our Commissioner of Ag, Tom Peterson, to approve uh, six new plants being added to our noxious weed list. And if you look at the noxious weed list, it's divided into four categories. So there's prohibited eradicate, prohibited control, regis- uh, regulate, specially regulated, and restricted. 
And they all have different requirements. So prohibited eradicate, as you might well imagine from the name, means every part, when you come across that plant, every part of that plant needs to be removed. And, uh, and, it's, and those are the most, uh, have the highest priority. And, uh, for example, amar, uh, uh, Palmer amaranth, which is a, a more of an agricultural uh, seed and uh, a problem, more of an agricultural weed, but we want to keep that plant from spreading within Minnesota. So the populations are smaller, but sometimes that means we haven't identified them all. And so uh, when you come across that plant, if, uh, if you're a farmer or if you have a, a naturalized area and you see this plant and you identify it correctly, you want to remove the entire plant, the roots, the seed heads. You want to get in there before it seeds. Uh, these plants put out millions and millions of seeds per plant. Per plant? Per plant, wow. yep. And so, uh, so in that case, you want to remove it. So you have to look at the different categories. The plants that we're talking about, these ornamental plants, have been added to a specially regulated uh, section, which means uh, if you have the plant in your yard, you do not need to remove it by law. So I have a euonymus in my yard. I wouldn't have to remove it. I probably will, but I wouldn't have to. And um, But you can't plant them near um, uh, woodland areas. No, wait, I'm sorry. That's a restricted you, uh, if you find them in woodland areas or naturalized areas, they should be reported. And we have an app called EdMaps. That's a really good app for reporting these things, um, for these invasive species. So you want to read about those and, um, and then um, be sure that you're following what those guidelines are. So some of these plants have been added. You're not going to find them for sale anymore in the nursery or there's a phase-out, a three-year phase-out of the plant. In the nursery industry, which, you know, kudos to the nursery industry for, for being part of this decision. Uh, you're not going to be able to buy them, but you don't have to remove them. But we're really want, encouraging people to replace them with something that's something not else. invasive. Is there, I know we have to break, Julie. They seed a lot. That's the problem. Oh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a list of what you just said yes. on the website? Yeah, on the on, um, there's a uh, post in our Yard and Garden News, which people can subscribe to, by the way. And that I listed, I put the links in there. And that was a couple ah. of weeks ago. So people could look back in the archives. And then you can also just go to the go to Google and just Google noxious weeds of Minnesota. And you'll come up with the Minnesota Department of Ag noxious weed list. There's also a DNR. It's a little bit different because there's some uh, more challenges they have in naturalized areas. All right. Hang on, Julie. We'll take a quick break here. Anybody on the line, hang on. And texters as well will uh, get back to answer your questions, either by phone or by text on our Smart Garden Show. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny along here with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota, helping you out today by phone and by text, which we do every week yes. on this show. Yes, so 52 call, weeks a year. Call it in or text it in. Again, <laughs> the same number, 651-989-9226. And then we have some text messages we'll get to, but Tim is calling from uh, Spicer, I believe, where things are nicer. Oh, yeah, Spicer. Hi, Tim. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, good program. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you're sure welcome. Uh, say, I have scouring rush uh, mm. growing in some recreational land, and I'm wondering if you might have a good way to eradicate that. Boy, I don't. It's uh, it's a native plant in Minnesota, and so uh, most of the time, I think it, it it grows in pretty wet areas, and that might be part of the issue. I don't know if there's uh, anything about. Uh, I I actually saw the that. 
was going to be your question. I looked it up on our uh, Minnesota Wildflowers website, which is an excellent website, by the way. Um, and it is uh, really grows in these wet conditions. And it may be that just containing it, just removing it, kind of setting a boundary and saying, I'm going to pull it out at this point uh, and just, uh, you know, try to maybe introduce some other plants into that area that you might desire more, like some grasses maybe that would um, maybe compete a little bit or create somewhat of a border for that area. So um, I wouldn't recommend pulling it all out. It is a native plant, so it does serve some important uh, roles probably within the ecosystem. But you might just set a a perimeter and say, I'm going to just keep it out of this area and let, let this area beyond it let it just grow uh, fine. And then, again, introduce some other plants that might uh, might be able to outcompete it a little bit. Very good, Tim. Thanks, Thanks for the That's call. That's a great question. I've never had a scouring rush, or Echocetum is the genus. I've never had a scouring rush question, ever, no. ever. <laughs> Every day is a new story here. 651-989-9226. Uh, let's, uh, let's grab a text. Uh, I have been pruning my, what is this, Julie? Non-spring blooming shrubs. No. Okay. Spring, my non-spring blooming shrubs. Okay. It must be summer. Must mean they're summer blooming. Last summer and fall, they appeared to be pest-free. My question is: as I prune, I cut the trimmings into small pieces. Just let them drop into the wood mulch below. Is that okay? I do clean my tools between each uh, each shrub. They are viburnum, burgundy, and. Uh, where's the other one? Wentworth and black chokeberry. Oh, yeah. I think that's a good idea is just to cut those. If you're cutting them into small pieces, yeah, let them drop. That's what nature does. That should be fine. Okay, Julie, this one says, Julie, <laughs> can you recommend some annual and perennial flowers that can be uh, direct sown from seed? So uh, any almost any plant can be direct sown from seed, any perennial or annual flower. The uh, the issue comes in when you're trying to grow a hybrid perennial, and uh, the the plant may not come true from seed. So this is a hybrid is where uh, the plants have been intentionally bred by crossing two plants of desirable characteristics, and uh, and so uh, you may not get exactly that if you collected the seed, you may not get exactly the same plant. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun to actually try. Um, but for most cases with annuals, uh, annuals, oftentimes we start them from seed and people know that they go to the, I was at the garden center the other day and there's a bunch of seed, you know, displays out there already. And so, uh, we do grow a lot of those from seed. Those are varieties that, that do come true from seed. And so, uh, I would say experiment with that. Uh, we do have our seeds starting, our starting seeds, uh, webpage, and there are lists there that you can follow, and it actually is kind of nice because it has a calendar, kind of a timing, you know, how because it's some seeds require only four weeks to germinate and some require as much as 12 weeks or, or 16 weeks to germinate. Um, sometimes seeds need to be treated with either a cold period or they have to, their seed coats, which are protective little covers over the growing parts of the seed, have to be nicked, scarified it's called, with like a razor blade. Um, sometimes this happens when a bird eats a seed and it goes into the gullet of the bird and that, that, uh, churning of the gullet actually breaks that seed coat. 
Sometimes seeds are soaked so that they swell and crack the seed coat. So you want to read about the seed. And usually on the package of the seed, it's going to tell you what to do. But look at our starting seeds uh, page, and that has some lists of different plants that you can start and when to start those. And then also, uh, you know, see what, what kind of plants you like and go to your garden center, read some of the packets, and ask our very knowledgeable garden center staff that are, you know, that are uh, out there and, and uh, you know, do some experimenting. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. A younger, I was going to ask you this, do they, is anybody like an elementary level teaching gardening, little fun stuff with oh, the kids? Oh, yeah, lots of, lots and lots of youth programs. Uh, so there's, uh, at the Arboretum, there's the Peapods program, which are really tiny kids, little uh, preschoolers. And then all the way through high school, uh, kids are science teachers. There's a lot of science teachers who teach a lot of botany and they teach, uh, you know, growing plants. There's uh, master gardeners who go into schools and work with teachers and help, you know, teach kids about growing and where their food comes from and about trees, the importance of trees and, and other plants in the landscape. So it's very active. I think I want to, I'm going to pull this number out of my brain, but I think it's 64,000 school kids go to the Arboretum a no, year. That, what a it's great. a huge number. Oh. I don't know if that's exactly right, but that, it's some gigantic number. That's good to hear. All right, let's go back to the phones. Julie, Ken is calling from uh, Blaine. Ken, you're on with Julie. Good morning. Um, I was at State Farm a couple days ago, and I was just kind of wandering around looking at their uh, bird feeders and their bird houses and so forth, and I ran across uh, an insect house which is a stack of uh, tubes, wooden tubes of various diameters. And I was just kind of wondering um, where something like that might be located and, uh, you know, what kind of insects might uh, live in there. Okay, so those are usually, in they're long tubes, as you said. They're holes. So uh, bees in particular have, um, with, with the importance of, of preserving and creating habitat for pollinators, Bee houses uh, have become really popular fixtures in people's yards and schoolyards, etc. And it's important that um, if you're going to build them, that you build them correctly. And if you buy them, that you buy uh, one that I, th- I think the depth of the tubes or the depth of the holes in that should be at least five inches deep. Um, so you want to make sure that it's not just a pretty looking little house, but it actually has some depth. And what the bee will do is they will go into those cavities, and you might have noticed they were all different sizes because there's different sizes of bees. Even wasps will use these too. And, and not all wasps are yellow jackets. There's a lot of very placid, solitary wasps who aren't going to bother you, aren't going to sting you unless you step on them or something. But, um, but they're not all yellow jackets. So yellow jackets actually nest in the ground. So... Um, or also in crevices too. But anyway, back to the bee house. So the bees will lay their eggs in sequence in there and they'll pack in grasses or mud uh, or some kind of uh, make a little cap over each egg area and then they'll layer that in there and then they'll plug that hole up. And so then the eggs will hatch out and the bees will emerge the next you know, next season or when they're, when they're uh, mature enough. And so uh, so it's important that the depth be about at least five inches. 
And you also want to anchor it to something sturdy. So you don't want to hang it in a tree where it moves around with the wind. You want to make sure it's sturdy, whether it's on a pole or it's against a building. And you want to put it in a south-facing space, someplace where the sun warms it up. And uh, and keep it up above where predators can't get at it. So you don't want your, you know, you don't want to put it too low and and where other animals can get in there and and uh, you know, dig around in there. So, but that's a great thing to do. Um, there's a lot of good information on it. if you go to our um, our bee. Uh, uh, I just googled while you were talking um, bee houses UMN and came up with our bee labs information about wild bee nests and building bee habitat. That's an excellent publication. Mm-hmm. So if you just Google uh, Bee Houses UMN, it will come up and go to the Bee Squad page. Excellent. Really interesting. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, that sounds great. Ken, thanks for the question. We're going to take a bit of a break here. We have another half hour of the show to go. Call us or text us, same number, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. I know we got a, had a call earlier to kind of backtrack a little about trimming sure. oaks. Okay, so uh, the person said that she wasn't. She wanted me to repeat that. So oaks are susceptible to oak wilt, and oak wilt is caused by um, a, a beetle that vectors the virus, and also by root grafts. When oaks are growing close together, the roots can sometimes grow together and transfer the virus that way. And from April through June is the high-risk time for oak wilt to spread. So we do not recommend, in fact, do not prune your oaks from April through June. After that, into the later summer and into uh, early fall before dormancy, that's considered a lower risk time, but winter at this time of the year from about, oh, maybe November, December until around March is considered the lowest risk and the time, the best time to prune oaks. All right. There you go. Hope that helped. Yeah. Hope that clarified that. If you have a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. 651-989-9226 applies to both. Uh, let's grab a phone call, and then we'll get some more text messages Sounds answered good. here. Michelle is calling from Maple Grove, I believe. Morning, Michelle. Good morning. Morning. Love your show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I'm doing this every week. You keep me going through the winter. <laughs> right. Excellent. So my question is, how can I get my garden to grow faster this spring? Can I drape it with plastic and get it to start budding earlier, or, you know, the seeds to Grow or the little plants to start jump on it. Yeah. Uh, Do you start seeds indoors at all? No, I don't because I tend not to pay attention to them. Okay. So uh, yes, you can actually you can use a a a row cover to uh, start your seeds. You can uh, you could build a hoop house uh, using some uh, uh, you know some uh, uh, tubes that are bent. You can use PVC or. Um, other things like that, or a teepee kind of, you know, a tent-like uh, uh, structure, and you can drape it with plastic that way. Uh, it's easier if you have a raised bed to do that, actually, um, but you can do it in, a, in the ground as well. Um, you can use milk jugs, plastic milk jugs, and do what's called uh, winter sowing, where you start your seeds in those milk jugs, and then you. And there's a whole description of this if you go to our website. And uh, just Google um, 
milk jugs or extend the season, uh, something like that, uh, you should come up with that publication or that uh, blog post that we did on that. And uh, and that those are some ways you can kind of get started earlier with your garden. You can also choose uh, crops that uh, grow well in cooler mm-hmm. weather and start with those, things like lettuces, kale, cabbages, mm-hmm. uh, some of the leafy greens. Uh, you can start uh, earlier. You want to start when the soil is workable. So if you can warm up your soil at all, and if you uh, you can try covering it with plastic uh, to warm it up, but um, uh, usually you just kind of have to wait on that a little bit. Sometimes if you put seeds in and the soil is too cold, they'll actually rot or they'll just stay there and they won't do anything until the temperatures are correct. So in some cases you kind of have to just see what the weather brings and uh, and uh, uh, you know start the seeds accordingly. You could also start with transplants. That's probably the fastest way to get your garden going is skip the seeds and buy transplants, right. little little plants. Thanks, start Michelle. Appreciate that. 651-989-9226. Let's get a couple of text messages. Uh, here's one. I've kept some flower bulbs in my fridge over the past four to five months. Wow. When should I remove them to start forcing indoor blooms? Right now. <laughs> That's plenty long. Uh, usually I think the recommendation is about 12 weeks. So that's about three months. And, uh, yeah, take them out, put them in a sunny window, start watering them if they're, if they're dry at all. They probably aren't because they've been in the fridge. But, uh, yep, warm them up. It's the time to do it. All right, let's see. Oh, here's, oh, boy. I recently received a jade <laughs> plant from a friend. The other day I noticed little black jumping bugs on the floor that look like tiny grasshoppers. Ooh. What are they? Should I repot? I did spray it with a dose of alcohol. Oh. Thanks for your response. It sounds like they're like little crickets maybe. I wonder. Little baby nymphs, young crickets. And I guess what I would do is if you really if you really like the plant and you want to keep it, um, which most people do, <laughs> I think I would uh I would repot it. So I would I get a clean pot or wash the pot that it's in with hot soapy water to remove any kind of insect if there's any eggs that are growing in there or anything. I would get some some new garden soil, go to the garden center or your hardware store, get a new bag of soil. And jade are pretty forgiving. You can grow them in a cactus soil or you can grow them in an all-purpose soil. And I would take that plant out and I would just uh, knock the soil off of the roots as best you can and then uh, maybe even wash the roots off. That might be a good idea to get the soil off. And then repot it. I'd also wash the plant itself. Just just stick it under the sink. I'm hoping, you know, if it's a manageable size, put it under a faucet with a sprayer and just give it a good douse, uh, let it dry, and then um, and then repot it up. Sometimes those insects just come along with things and they're in the soil, and the best way to do it is to repot it. Is there any kind of a spray that besides what you well, said? Well, without identifying the insect, yeah. it's really hard. And it sounds to me like it wouldn't help anyway because they're jumping around. You'd yeah. never be able to catch them. <laughs> and, and you just want to, if you find them, you know, vacuum them up or something and get rid of them. The vacuum's really useful for some of those moving I'm sure bugs. it is, yeah. Oh, here's a person after my own heart here. Any spring lawn care tips following fall dormant grass seeding? Well. Looking ahead. Yeah, looking ahead. Um you know, we always say stay off your lawn until it dries out because you can compact down your soil quite a bit if you're walking on wet or damp soil. So staying off of your lawn. I think most of the time in, at this show in particular, around when the, when the snow melts, we get lots of people anxious to get out and rake 
and work on their yard. They want to start seeding things, all this stuff. And the best thing to do for your lawn is just wait till it dries out. Don't go walking around on it while it's still wet because you'll just be compacting that soil down. Yeah. I remember we do get Yeah, we get a lot of people wanting like, what can I do time. this weekend on those first warm weekends? Raking, yes. Can yeah, I rake? Ra- no, wait till it dries out. Don't want to walk on That's that squishy my piece soil. Of advice. <laughs> uh speaking of honeysuckle, <clears throat> which we were earlier. Yes. Could I plant the peaches and cream vining honeysuckle along Sure. My old honeysuckle yeah. hedge to fill in using the old hedge to support the oh. budding new plants. Well, it's kind of interesting. That's a good reuse. It's hard to take out those old hedges. They're tough. Um, uh, yeah, the vining honeysuckle is a beautiful thing. Drop more honeysuckle is one of the common names of that. And, um, yeah, they're, they're great. They're great for uh, hummingbirds, great for pollinators too. There's another bug question. Great. What do I do about the, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> speaking of bugs, <laughs> I have a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> Excuse me. Uh, what do I do about the <laughs> little black bugs that get into the fruit of my raspberry? They are not there in the beginning of the season, but appear later in the season. Well, I've seen beetles in raspberries, and uh, I would take a look at our raspberry pest webpage. Uh, it is on, under our fruit section of the Yard and Garden webpage. So if you go to extension.umn.edu, uh, go to Yard and Garden, and then uh, go down to the fruit section, go to raspberries. And there's uh, growing raspberries in Minnesota gardens, and then there's also pest management. And I think you'll be able to find what you're looking for there. It's kind of the idea I'm not really thinking about or being able to grasp on what you would do about it specifically, but... I think if you're talking about the little black beetles, yeah, I found them in raspberries too sometimes, uh, and they'll they'll uh, they'll address that I think in that publication. Okay, Julie, we need to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. Same number six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are on CCO every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Uh, give us that website again so people can yes, check it out. Yes, uh, our website, if you didn't get your question answered or don't in the rest of the uh, time or have a question during the week, you can go to extension.umn.edu. Uh, go to our Yard and Garden page. We also have a search box on the extension page where you can just type your question in. If you're looking for University of Minnesota information and you're in Google, you can just type like um, uh, rose bushes UMN, and it should populate with all sorts of things from the university about roses. All right, easy to do. Let's go back to the phones. Chloe, I believe, is calling from oh, St. Paul. Chloe, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I love your show. I just want you to know that. Thank, Thank you. you very much. <laughs> I have a lot of snow around my Wigelia bushes. They're like four feet tall. Okay. Do I need to shovel that snow away so I can trim them before spring, um, being that I didn't get it done last fall, or how late in the spring can I trim them? I, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. Wigelias are um, summer-blooming plants, mm-hmm. so they are mm-hmm. going to bloom on newer wood. I believe. And so I don't think you need to shovel around them. You might want to, when the snow is gone, if you find some dead branches, you could certainly prune those out. Or if you find, uh, you know, you've got a branch that's really an awkward angle, you could prune that out. But I think you want to wait to prune Wygelas until until uh, after they've bloomed or, no, it would be in the spring. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm kind of forgetting this. <laughs> but uh, you don't need to shovel snow away at this point. You can wait until, you know, till the snow melts to do any work around it. That should be plenty okay, of time. Okay, because I just take the dead ones. Yeah. All right. Yep. Thank yep. you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, Chloe. Appreciate your call. 651-989-9226. Got to brush up on my pruning stuff a little bit. I'll put that on my to-do list this week. <laughs> That'll be your homework. My homework, yeah. Shrubs in particular. Texter says, can you please talk about jumping worms and their growing in- invasiveness to southern Minnesota? What's that about? Okay, so uh, jumping worms are an invasive uh, species. Uh, all worms are actually exotic in Minnesota. We have no native earthworms in Minnesota. They've all been brought in over you know centuries. Uh, and But jumping worms are particularly um, uh, concerning because... They are uh, coming in on. Some people think they come in on mulch. Some people come. Some people think they come in on nursery stock, um, and they po- reproduce very rapidly. And they live in the top few inches of soil, and they tend to feed on the small plants, the roots, and the and the small plants that are in that soil. So they can be detrimental to landscapes that way in woodland areas, and. Uh, a jumping worm looks a little bit different from other earthworms in in that the band that's around the the uh, animal, it's called the clitellum, and that is a lighter color, kind of a blonde color. And these are called jumping worms because of their movement. Um, they move like a snake does on the ground, like an S, where they sizz, you know slither along. And they also are very active if you touch them. They, they literally like jump around in a way. Um, very, very active, and uh, they are quick reproducers, as a lot of worms are. Their eggs are very hard to see. They look a lot like uh, just a little teeny tiny ball, uh, maybe a beige or a a light yellow color, creamy color. And uh, so you want to inspect when you get plants. You want to really look at the root ball. Uh, If you find a jumping worm or think you do, you want to report it to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture Keep it. Do not. Uh, and if you do find uh, uh, jumping worms, you want to throw them in your garbage, not in your compost pile, because they will thrive in there. And you don't want to bring them to a yard waste location. You want to throw them away so they get incinerated by your garbage company. Um, if you find a jumping worm or any invasive plant or species that you're concerned about, you can always report those to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. You can go to arrest a pest, uh, or you can call it in. You can go to their website and call in a pest. Uh, they, Of course, photos, samples, all those things are important. You can also download an, an app called the uh, Great Lakes Early Detection Network, and you can report it that way too. So uh, if you have land up north, if you have you know, if you ever come across something that you think is an invasive plant or invasive species, please, please report it. It's better to be told, nope, that's a native or nope, that's not a concern, rather than, uh, you know, try to, uh, uh, you know, then, then to kind of brush it off and go, oh, well, that's not a big deal. Because it could, you could be actually being, playing a very important role in, in reining in invasive species. You can always look at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture website or the or Minnesota Department of Natural Resources website and see all sorts of identification features and helps about particular invasive species, both terrestrial and invertebrates as well.
Oh, that's interesting. And aquatic as well, too. Good question. University's very in, uh, University of Minnesota is very involved in invasive species uh, research, management, control, and education. All right. Texter says this, why do my tomato plants get a blight-like appearance after the fruit starts growing, the plant eventually dies, the garden gets rotated uh, every year? It could be the type of tomato that you're growing. There are some that are more susceptible to uh, different uh, tomato diseases. You can maybe try some new varieties. There's so many varieties of tomatoes. It's unbelievable. But um, you can read that on the package or do some research about some of the different options. And uh, and you can uh, maybe choose some new varieties. The other thing, too, is is a lot of, so- a lot of uh, uh, blights and... You know, other things are soil-borne, so they're in the soil. So you do rotate your garden. That's great. But you might want to also make sure that you're mulching around the base of the tomato and that you're watering at the base of the plant, not not overhead watering. What happens there, we can't do anything about rain, but we can certainly manage our watering habits. And when you overhead water, uh, you're basically splashing the soil particles onto the lower leaves of the plant. And sometimes that's a way that uh, a lot of diseases get transferred onto the plant from the soil. So mulching around the base, you can use straw, you can use uh, uh, wood mulch, you can use uh, you know grass clippings, and uh, and then also be sure that you're watering at the base of the plant. If you use uh, grow tomatoes in containers, you want to wash those containers well with a hot soapy water. You want to clean your your cages and stakes, your tools, you can use alcohol, you can use 10% bleach solution, be sure to wipe it off, clean it, clean it really well so it doesn't rust your tools. So you want to practice good sanitation. I have a couple minutes to go, Julie. Here's one that I think the texter agrees with you about those jumping critters. They are grasshoppers, texter says. We had some lay no. eggs in a plant, and on Christmas Eve a few years ago they hatched. We had baby grasshoppers all over the place. Holy cow, get the vacuum so out. you were right, Tom. Yeah, I'm guessing they probably were. All right, another quick one. What type of maple tree would you recommend for a south-facing backyard in the East Metro? I had to remove my Crimson King this winter. Well, one of the issues with the maple trees is that they're, they're thin-barked when they're, you know, when they're particularly young. But, um, so you want to protect the, any young tree that you plant, you want to protect that bark with a, 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 a corrugated uh, tree guard. It's white, reflects the light, uh, and uh, we have good information on that about uh, uh, protecting plants from winter damage. But uh, there are a lot of good choices. We have um, a good website in our Trees and Shrubs section called Recommended Trees for Minnesota Regions, and you can look there. Uh, There's also a good publication on selected selected trees for uh, Minnesota gardens and landscapes. And they're both right on the trees and shrubs section. So I would recommend uh, taking a look at that. I have not asked you about the abiders and where you guys are playing next. Uh, well, interestingly, you should ask. Uh, small uh, Carl and I are playing with some other friends, not as the abiders per se, but as kind of a jam. Next Sunday, February 23rd at Lupine Brewing for the Chili Contest, mm. of which I was the winner two years ago. Uh, it's a great benefit for the music boosters in Delano, and uh, yeah, you can come on out and and have taste the taste and vote on the chili, and then listen to some good music. When is that? Uh, February twenty third, starting at two o'clock at Lupine Brewing in Delano. Outstanding. Thanks, Julie. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.